We're going to begin in Psalm 90 tonight. Spend a little bit of time there. Psalm 90 is probably most famous for a couple of things that it says. It says, of life, we spend our years as a tale that is told. Later it would say, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. Time is the most scarce and our most precious resource that we have. We realize that we don't have an infinite supply of time. We will use our time most wisely and most well. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Literally, that means we spend our years as a breath, like we breathe, or as a tale that is told. It's like, hey, let me tell you this story, and you tell the story, and that encompasses a whole, a whole lifespan. That's depressing, maybe, isn't it? Man comes, then man goes. It's instructive to know who wrote this psalm. This psalm was credited to Moses. You think about Moses' life, most most of Moses' ministry was not the glory of of redemption, although he did get to experience the glory of the redemption of God's people from the bondage of Egypt. But most of Moses' ministry, most of his time, was the 40 years in the desert, seemingly in a pointless, endless monotony. And then, after he had been blessed by God to lead the children of Israel out of the bondage of Pharaoh, Moses spends his last 40 years leading the people who were moving constantly and yet going nowhere. Isn't that something? And a good deal of this psalm seems to be sort of that disorienting thing. Lord, a thousand days in your sight is as yesterday when it is past, as a watch in the night, he would say. And yet for him, he says, it feels like we're just living and being consumed in your wrath, being consumed in your anger. They spend this 40 years just waiting for everyone that is of a certain age to die so that they can experience the uh, fullness of the judgment of God. And then Moses, as he leads this people through this monotonous, um, constantly changing, this noisy time where there's so much provision of God and yet so much complaint and murmuring that's happening and Moses of course eventually loses his cool strikes the rock and he is condemned with the rest of the people to spend this time and it'll be his last time life is like that sometimes isn't it it feels like we're on a hamster wheel just turning moving constantly and yet going nowhere there's many things that we can credit that with Maybe it's a failure to prioritize. There are many things that we can do in life. Maybe it's a failure to recognize the limited nature of life. God is constantly reminding us in Scripture of the limited, finite time that we have in this life. Maybe it's that there are so many things that we're not sure what the right thing, what the one thing is that we need to be doing or focusing on. And sometimes it's like this. If you are in a room with um, just a few people, and someone taps you on the shoulder, uh, that's a signal to turn around, isn't it? That somebody wants your attention. But much of the time, life is like what I read in the, I think it was the Daily Memphian this week, they were talking about this um, Asian 
food uh, festival that was held in Memphis, uh, I think, week before last, um, down at Crosstown Concourse, and they had advertised it, and you know how these things go. They had a certain number of people on Facebook that said, yeah, we're going to attend, and then a whole lot more that were going to be interested, so they tried to just just take that number and, and cut it in half, and maybe half those who were interested would show up. And it turned out they were planning for maybe, maybe 2,000 or 3,000, and 8,000 people showed up. And so um, you can imagine uh, what that was like. So if you're in a building like that, you're surrounded by people, and you feel something on your shoulder, you're not apt to turn around. You're getting touched constantly. You're getting tapped in the shoulder, you're getting tapped in the arm, you're getting tapped in the hips, you're getting tapped everywhere. And eventually you just stop listening and stop turning. It's just noise. It's just movement. It's just touch. And in those moments, we oftentimes miss. Maybe that's how it is for you. There's so many responsibilities, so many distractions, so many things to watch, so many things to look, look at, so many things to listen to, so many things to do, so many responsibilities that you have. And, and God here is saying, Moses is saying, wait a minute, this is disorienting. We're going to go through this and it's going to be like a tale that's told. It's going to be over in a moment. And there's such regret, such remorse, such recognition of things that should be done. And so in this psalm, it's not all disorienting. There's some great orienting going on. The first act of orientation is the very beginning where Moses recognizes, Lord, here's the one constant, Lord, Thou. Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. There's one singular constant that moves to the thread of everyone's life. It's the one tap on the shoulder that we should be noticing. It's the one rock of orientation that we should be Noticing, focusing, listening to, Lord, with all this change, with all this movement, with all this noise, with all this seemingly spinning constantly with no real direction, Lord, you're the, you're the compass point. You're the point that the compass is pointing to, Lord, you've been the same. Uh, you've been the constant through every generation. You've always been there. You haven't changed. You're the same. Even before anything was, before the heavens were formed, before the earth was, before anyone inhabited it, before there was a, before there was a, a life that was lived, that was as a tale that was told, Lord, you're, you're there, you're, you're the one. And so Moses would then come to the Lord later in the psalm and say, Lord, teach us, teach us, Lord, to number our days. Teach us to know the reality of the certainty that our lives are finite. Whether we Jesus comes back, that's still an end to life here, isn't it? Or whether we more likely, as generations before us have experienced, whether we live and then our breath is taken away and we die, Lord, teach us to understand just how finite that this is. There's something about that that is meant to uh, prod us out of uh, lethargy or slothfulness or the lack of awareness or the lack of urgency uh, to move out of what we know that we should move from and move towards what we should know we should move towards. So teach us to number our days because in numbering our days, the result is we apply our hearts to wisdom. In, in numbering and in, in, in understanding that our time is limited, we then turn to that which is, which is lasting, that which is meaningful, that which is 
worthy. And then I love how he continues. He says, oh, satisfy us, satisfy us early with thy mercy. There's something about understanding that our days are limited that emphasize to our hearts that, Lord, we need your mercy. Um, we need your mercy to understand what is wisdom. We need your mercy to, <clears throat> to not be trapped by the trivial, even when the trivial seems so important. There's nothing like death to bring into focus what is trivial, what is truly trivial. Think about all of the things that occupy your minds on a daily basis. Things that seem so, so, so very important. And think about how many of those things will immediately vanish when death comes. I think we'd all be ashamed to say that, that it's, it's probably well over 90% of the things that occupy, that really grab our attention, grab our minds, immediately vanish. They don't matter. They don't ultimately matter nearly as much as we think. So, Lord, we need your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You hear that? So these days matter. Father, we need your mercy to be able to face the limited days that we have with joy and gladness. There's joy and there's some interference here. There's joy and gladness in work. There's joy and gladness in labor. Lord, there's joy and gladness in, in there was joy and gladness Moses had in bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. There was joy and gladness in the prospect of Canaan's land, but but there. Their focus, their turn towards the trivial resulted in sorrow and loss. Make us glad according to the days when thou hast afflicted us and the years where we have seen evil. And I love this, verse 16, let thy work appear unto thy servants. <clears throat> so Lord, we're asking you in your mercy to, 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 to clarify for us, it's sort of like... Um, you ever been to the eye doctor or the optometrist and they put you behind the, the, the big uh, black glasses that <laughs> they were and they, they turn, they say, is this clear? Is this clear? And at first it's just all, it's all blurred. And then, and then they begin to catch it closer to where your eyes actually will operate at and, and they say, now is this clear or is this clear? And it's amazing how clear those little letters I, I learned to memorize those letters, to, and then I realized that wasn't doing me any favors. Um, so I needed to just go ahead and, and, and be honest with them, because um, they were trying to help me. And, but anyway, uh, the, but the clarity that comes into focus is amazing. Uh, things that I could not see at all. With my naked eye, I could begin to see clearly. This is, what they, this is what Moses is asking God for. Help me to see your work clearly. I'll have joy and gladness when I am focusing on your work. Let thy work appear to thy service and thy glory unto their children. And then I love the last verse. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. So to establish something means to, 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 to set it deeply with a foundation, with a concrete and, 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 um, and, and iron bar rebar. Something that doesn't move or shake when the earthquakes or when the... 
when the, when, when the storms hit, something that is firmly, deeply set into place. Lord, will you establish what I'm doing, even understanding that what I am doing is going gonna, is gonna to go away like a tale that is told? And yet, Lord, when, when I'm established in your work, when I can see your work, and I'm turning towards your work, the work that I am doing as a response to seeing your work, Lord, you have the ability to establish it deeply to where there is generational impact, generation upon generation being blessed through the work of my hands by your mercy and your power, by you allowing me to see the work of your hands. What a prayer. Isn't this an amazing prayer? So I love how this, this disorienting reality is, is brought into a, a, a reorienting focus by Moses here for us. Now in this psalm, Moses mentions something that I'm going to sort of use as a takeoff point tonight. For us to think about this um, fragility of life, this uh, temporary nature of life, to understand what God wants us to think about. When we think about the temporary nature of life. So in this psalm, he mentions something that you're going to notice a lot in the scriptures. Where he says in, in, in verse 6. In verse 5, actually earlier he says, In the morning, thinking of humans, In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening, it is cut down and withereth. So in the morning, grass grows. And then we hire people like Reagan. They come in there with their grass slayers. They slay the grass and it withereth. I was looking outside today at the, uh, at the yard that's mowed. And there's a little cut grass still above there. And, and that which was very uh, verdantly green on Friday is... Now, choose your adjective for brown. It's just, it's just brown. It's dark. There's no life. It's, it's, it's dead. The, the beauty, the glory that was there is cut down in a moment. This is the picture that the Lord uses frequently throughout Scripture. Now, thankfully, the Lord doesn't only call us grass, but much of the time it's, it's the flower of the grass. So I want to think tonight with you about... Mankind, when I say mankind, I mean, I mean all of us. All of us. Every one of us. As a flower. William Shakespeare and Henry VIII. Here's what he said. You may know this well. This is the state of man. Today he puts forth the tender leaves of hope. Tomorrow blossoms and bears his blushing honors thick upon him. The third day comes a frost, a killing frost. And when he thinks, good easy man, full surely his greatness is a ripening. Nips his root, and then he falls. Isn't that something? The frost has come. The flower is still there, but now it's brittle, isn't it? And he nicks that root, and then the flower falls. Now, I want you to know I'm not here to depress you tonight at all. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to encourage all of us, hopefully to stir all of us, towards that which we probably know deep inside we already know that we need. And yet, through the mind tricks that we play, 
the distractions that come, we think, well, there's always another and better day for this. But the reality is, our days are limited. They are like the tale that is told. We are like a flower. God is not disparaging. He's not dismissive in comparing us to a flower. But He is framing life for us as it's meant to be understood. So I want to think about four, four things. There's probably a lot more. I would encourage you to meditate on these things because there's plenty of scriptures about this. But I want to think about four things that certainly the Lord is teaching us when He compares mankind to a flower. Let me just list these for you um, and then we'll think about them in a little bit more detail. Number one, God is, is telling us, when He calls mankind a flower, God is calling us that life is truly beautiful. Life is marvelous. Life is a work of God's marvelous handiwork. Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The thoughts of God towards His people, not just thoughts of salvation, but thoughts of, of, of human beings before they're ever formed, and then as they are in the womb, when you cannot separate or distinguish the members, His thoughts towards us and by thoughts, I mean his design, his work, his, his act, his thoughts mean that he's active. He's active in forming. How precious, David would say, are thy thoughts toward me. The psalm is so great that the sand upon the sea cannot number. It cannot capture the reality of God's thoughts toward you. Isn't that amazing? So life is like a flower means that life is a beautiful work. Your life is a beautiful work of God's handiwork. In fact... This very same one who, who wrote this psalm, Psalm 90, and expressed these thoughts of, man, we're, we're, we're growing up and then we're getting cut down. He would bring this to God one time, say, Lord, I, I'm nothing. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to do what you've called me to do. Uh, you want me to lead these people Israel, and Lord, I am, I am of slow speech uh, and a thick tongue. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not good at this. I can't do this. And, and remember what the Lord did? The Lord said, Moses, who made you? Who made you? And who made the dumb that cannot speak? Dumb doesn't mean, mean lack of intellect. Dumb means unable to speak. Who made the deaf? Who made the blind? Who made you, Moses? I made you. So Moses, really what he's saying, Moses, when you're complaining about what you don't have, you're complaining against me. And I formed you. I framed you. On purpose, I framed you with great care. I formed you with great love. My design for you is exactly what it meant to be. You're not the discard pile. You're not that which was, you know, you're, you're not the generic brand that was plucked out of the, out of the, uh, so the, I was thinking about the, we go to Georgia to the formers and they go to the, collect peaches and, and they, they, they make the best peach. Um, peach jellies and peach jams and frozen peaches. But they, they told me what they do is, is they go to these uh, peach farms and they, they take the discards. Um, because the discards, they can't be sold, but they actually, the discards are actually some of the sweeter fruits that are there. And so they're, there's, a, there's a trick. They're getting them cheaper. That's pretty nice, huh? And they're getting the best, the best of the fruits. And, and, but God's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not pulling you from the discard pile. Now, I framed you with... The bruises and the and the, the the welts and the warts and the, the the bad spots. I framed you just like I framed you on purpose. You are a marvel of my handiwork. So life is beautiful. Secondly, this is pretty obvious: is that life is fragile. Life is temporary. 
Thirdly, a prideful, stubborn life is a foolish, deluded life. That should be obvious as well. A prideful, stubborn life. Anyone who would, who would raise their hands in stubbornness against God, that's so foolish, isn't it? And then the lastly, the reality, this reality of man as a flower is intended to draw our hearts towards God. So turn to Matthew 6 for a moment. Matthew 6. Life is beautiful. Life is gloriously constructed. We had this debate when we were younger in our marriage. We don't have it anymore. I'm thankful we don't. But it was... Is buying your wife flowers a worthwhile thing? After all, after all, they're going to perish in just a few days. And they cost, they cost money. I'm not going to say which side of the argument I was on. <laughs> but is it, is it a worthwhile thing? And the answer to that is, of course it is. Of course it is. It is not because they don't last. They don't last. It's not because they're temporary. It's not because they are... They are um, the most meaningful thing. But it's worth it because of what they symbolize and what they are. In the moment, there is a beauty, amazing beauty. Not just the beauty in the color, but the beauty in the individuality of each flower. The beauty of watching it flourish and then watching it decay. The colors that change. Each petal is different. Each shade, a little bit different color. There's beauty. There's great beauty. And of course, what it symbolizes, I want to express the beauty that you bring into my life, and the beauty that you are, and the, the joy that I find in you, and the thanksgiving that I have for who you are. These flowers are a small symbol of that. Well, here's what, here's what God says. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, so that the, the dried grasses, would, the dried flowers, the dried grasses would be used to, 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 as, the, as the source of heat in these ovens. So that which was so glamorous, that which was so beautiful, so, so individual, so uniquely designed, that was, was shortly a few days later was, was cast into the ovens. You go, boy, was there any value in that? And the answer to that is is yes. There's value because the Lord who made the lilies delighted in the lilies. In fact, who else is called a lily in the Bible besides humans, besides just normal human beings? Jesus Christ is, isn't he? In the Song of Solomon describing Jesus, it says, He's the lily, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. 
He's this beautiful one. The Lord, the Father, takes amazing delight in His Son and says, This is my Son. I'm well pleased in Him. He is, he is this flower. He is this work of, of, of uh, not of creation, of course, but He is this work of God sending His Son to the earth. And I take great pleasure in Him in, the, in a similar way. He says, Look at how I have fashioned you. If you if you understand how I fashioned you, and how I care for you, notice how I care for the lilies who don't have a soul. In fact, the lily will be gone as soon as it's burned up in the oven. But you, and I love how he says, O ye of little faith. God is not saying there in some kind of disparaging disparaging way, you stupid children. He's not. He is calling attention to their little faith, though. But he calls it faith. Isn't that good to know? The Bible says, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall cry into the mountains and they shall be removed. And so he's, in, listen, what he's doing here, he's saying, listen, I want your faith to grow. I want you to see just how beautiful that your life is. And how well provided and cared for that your life is without you doing a thing. Now he's not, just, he's not encouraging laziness or lethargy or just, just sitting around by the pool. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying don't, don't be responsible. Don't care for your families. Don't, don't, don't buy groceries. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying without you doing one single thing. Look how I'm providing for you. And so he's calling upon us to to place things in their proper perspective and to seek after things that matter, that don't just vanish away in the moment. He talks about some some really practical things here. Now he starts off early in the chapter and saying, "Don't, don't, don't, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve things. Things can't, can't bring to you. Things can be stolen. Things can be lost. Things will be stolen and lost. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where nothing can be corrupted. Nothing can be taken away. Nothing can be lost. He understands our temptation to put our trust and to put our focus and to put our hopes in things. And I know right now you're picturing your mind as some greedy businessman. Who just works and works and works and works and works. And yes, the greedy businessman is included here. But listen to who else he's talking to. He's talking to people who are trying to figure out what to make for supper tonight. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? I'm thankful that we have people who care, understand that this life is valuable. And our lives, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. But let me get very practical for a moment. We're all going to die one day. Every one of us. No matter what. And so if, 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 for example, you give yourself and your cares and your worries and your budget and everything to bring in food that is healthy for 
you and your children, this is not a call for junk food either. But what it is a call is to understand we're going to perish just like the lilies perish. But God cares for us. He, he, he cares for us. So I'm not going to give the bulk of my mind to that which is going to be temporary. It's going to perish. But instead, he says, I'm going to just seek after the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's a call for those who are worried. It's a call for those who are concerned. It's a call for those who are in distress. It's a call. Listen, the, uh, the, um, uh, think about how much attention we give to our houses and for what house to get and for how, you know, what changes we want to make. And, and those, are all, those are all fine things to do. And they're all going to perish. Your father knows what things you have need of. Your father does. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, there's such good instruction there, isn't there? You're a flower that the Lord's going to care for. I would say to you, he says that Solomon, all his glory is not arrayed like, like the lilies. I mean, think about that. Solomon, in all his glory, the glory that blew away the Queen of Sheba. It's, 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 it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's a thrill to, I don't know if you've been to the Biltmore House. I haven't been there, but I've read about the Biltmore House or, or some of the other great houses. And, and all those houses probably pale in comparison to the glory of Solomon's Temple. I mean, they came from far and wide, not just from Memphis to, 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 to Asheville, but from far and wide to see the glory of Solomon. And they came bearing gifts. It's as if the Queen of Sheba was saying, I'm not worthy to enter into this glorious place without giving some sort of obeisance and saying, this is great than I am. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus says, every single one of you, little faith, little faith child, every single one of you is cared for far better than Solomon. Life is beautiful. Oh, would you give your mind to that some? Would you give your mind to the care that God has for you? And, why, and, 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 and as you focus on that, see the Lord wash away some of the things that just occupy us to the point of, I just want to say distraction. The cares that lift off of our shoulders when we understand truly just how God cares for His own. Don't lay up treasures upon earth. It's all going to blow away. Secondly, Life is fragile, temporary. Turn to Job for a moment. I want to get two perspectives on this. Because Job has some really good things to say and important things to understand. And yet we understand that Job, under his, the great burden that he was bearing, Job's perspective was not all right here. Is that helpful to hear? <laughs> is that helpful to hear that a man who God says... Fear the Lord, eschewed evil, was perfect in all his ways, didn't always have it right. That's good to know, isn't it? You find some fellowship there, some, some encouragement there. So you're not going to have it always right either. So we can learn some things from Job, but we don't want to stay where Job stays. Job is, is emphasizing here the reality that life is fragile and temporary. Let me just read this passage to you. Job 14, I'll read the first 14 verses. I want you to see here that, that Job is, while he's seeing through a glass very darkly, and some of his perspective is, is um, I think, um, 
very fatalistic and 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 uh, and 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 bleak and dark. Yet the the glory of the Lord to work faith in His children. The Lord is working some words of faith in Job that Job probably not likely didn't fully understand. You see them come out even more clearly in Job 19 when he's at his most discouraged spot. And what do you remember that Job said there? Job is incredibly discouraged. He's incredibly bleak. All is against him. And then he pins some of the most glorious, hopeful words about the resurrection that will ever be when he said, I know. <laughs> there was nothing else that he, that he knew. He felt like his friends had left him. His his wife had departed from him. Um, he was a he was a source of uh, just a, an object of mockery and derision and pity, and he hated to be in this spot. And then he says, "But I know this. I know this. I know that my redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He's going to win." That's the redeemer, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer that we think about in the story of Boaz and Ruth, the one who comes and, and, and purchases uh, the debt of the, of, of the one who's in bondage or brings the one who's in, uh, uh, under, um, uh, under um, potential um, execution, brings him out of, uh, of that and brings him to freedom. He says, I know that my Goel, my kinsman redeemer, I know he lives. And he's going to stand when all else is, is, is gone. He's going to stand at the last day upon the earth. And though the skin worms are going to destroy this body, this body that was already so marked and bruised, and they're going to destroy this body, but, but in my flesh, the same body that was destroyed, but now raised and glorified, I shall see God. I'm going to see him with my eyes, not the eyes of another. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. I will see God. Well, you see little glimpses of this in this passage, even though it's very bleak. So, so Job 14, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower. <laughs> he doesn't have the same lilies of the field beauty here in his mind. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth as a shadow. Continueth not. You see your shadow and then you move. The, the, the light changes and the shadow's gone. That's man. It's just, it's just vapor. It's just vain. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one and bringest me into judgment with thee? So Lord, if, if I am so insignificant. I'm so small. I'm so fragile. Stop looking at me. That's what he's saying. Just leave me alone. I'm going to perish away in a moment anyway. So please, Lord, just leave me alone. You ever been there? Who can bring an un- a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined. I'm limited. I'm bound. The number of months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Lord, you, you've, you've, you've closed me in. I know that my life is limited. But it's not giving him hope. I know that, that my days are numbered. Turn from him. That he may rest. So he shall accomplish his hireling his day. Just let him rest till his day is done. For there is hope of a tree. Listen to this. Job says there's more hope for a tree than a, than a human. There is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will, be, that it will sprout again. And if the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth bows like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? Does it bud back up? 
As the waters fell from the sea, and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be passed, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Maybe you heard the resurrection language there. In fact, I think in part of this, Job didn't even know he was writing resurrection language. So Job just says, listen, I'm so fragile. Lord, because I'm so fragile, please leave me alone. Now, the, the part that Job gets right is that man truly is that fragile. Our days are bounded. The number of months are with God. He's appointed the bounds that we cannot pass. We cannot live one moment past God's appointed time. We can't do it. We can't, we're not the producer of our breath. You're not. You're not the continuer of your life. Your life, my life, is wholly dependent upon God, who's the sustainer and giver of all things to continue our souls in life. Do you understand that? Do I understand that? How important it is we understand that? We are dependent beings, we're fragile beings. We are temporary beings as speaks of this life. Now what Job had wrong is that man is not like, it, man is more like the tree than he ever thought. It is. He, you are. Now you're not going to spring back up in this life. But notice Job says in verse 12, or verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12. He said man just dies. And he doesn't rise back up. He says... Till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Now, I don't think he's pointing to the resurrection there, but he's exactly right. Man is going to die. Our bodies are going to lie on the ground, and we will not rise again. Now, our souls, of course, live forever, but we will not rise again until the heavens are no more, right? Till the heavens are no more, and until the, um, and, and, and then we will be raised out of our sleep. And then he says, if a man dies, shall he live again? He thinks it's ludicrous. And he says, all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. I love that. I'm going to wait for you, Lord, until my change come. Now, that's a, that's a statement of the temporary, fragile nature of life. That we are dependent beings. Now, from a much more hopeful vantage point, look at David in Psalm 103. The exact same point, but a much more hopeful um, and, and I think... Uh, um, Focused and right thinking approach to this truth. In Psalm 103, David says the same thing. The same thing as Job. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind, so there's a flourishing of life, but then the wind passeth over it and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. Wow. That's sort of breathtaking, isn't it? It's breathtaking. You can live life and make these connections and then, and then the generations continue and, and you know it no more. I lived in Blue Mountain, Mississippi, as you know, for 11 years. And I don't know how long it was, but it was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years into that that we went... There's nothing to do in Blue Mountains. We just spent a lot of time outside. We walked, and, and there's not a lot of roads. So we, you run and jog and walk on the exact same roads every time. And I had been on this road 
for a number of times. And then somebody told me that, did you know that if you go back in there, there's this old cemetery? And I forget how we found out. And, and so we just turned to the right and just a few feet off the road was this forgotten, forsa- it was magical, this forgotten, forsaken cemetery where most of the stones could no longer even, no longer even legible. It's something, isn't it? Those people were people who probably first inhabited Blue Mountain, Mississippi. Not that many generations ago, Blue Mountain was, 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 uh, was set up, I think, in fact I know, it was set up by a, a Civil War general who, who had five daughters and he wanted his daughters to get an education. And so he said, we're going to, he decided to move. And as he was just traveling along, he saw this mountain rise and I know it's not much of a mountain, but it's a little hill there. So imagine this, uh, back in the day, this mountain, and this, maybe this, the way the sun was shining, but it looked blue to him. He said, this is where we're going to stop. And so he stopped there, and he made a college. And it became Blue Mountain College, a, a college, for, a college for, for, for girls. And that's how Blue Mountain was established. And so someone from not that long ago, since the Civil War, started that place and then died and was buried. And then the, 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 the city, the town, the, the town changed shape. And for whatever reason, that cemetery was just, was just forgotten. And trees grew up around it, and, and it was blocked off from the road, and nobody knows about it except for if you just happen to turn off, and, and there's a cemetery there, and that's how life is. Except for this. Job says, this is, this is hopeless. This is, Lord, just leave me alone until this happens. Listen to what David says. Verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Do you understand that God understands your fragility? And he has pity upon it? For he knoweth our frame. He remembers, sometimes we forget, but he remembereth that we are dust. We're dust. God knows that. And yet, in this knowledge of how small, how, how, how peccable, how changeable, how temporary, immortal, and corruptible that we are, with all this truth that we're like the flower that's going to blossom and then vanish away with the wind, he says, verse 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, not just in theory, but upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. Hear that? There's some generational language happening here. He's saying that those who are fragile but turn their hearts to the Lord and fear the Lord, the Lord's mercies upon them are from everlasting to everlasting, which covers the span in which we live and the span that after we die and we're forgotten, the Lord's mercies are still solid and settled and upon them and this, and He is able to keep covenant to those who remember His commandments to do them, His righteousness unto children's children. So in other words, there's a generational blessing and a generational, not a, 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 a promise of God's mercy continuing from this generation to the next. And so you can say, you know, I know that my great-great-grandfather was this man who loved the Lord and served the Lord and and even today God's mercies towards him are being expressed in some way through his work of grace in me. Isn't that amazing? So the Lord is able to continue to perpetuate that which is so small and fragile. That's hopeful, isn't it? 
And so James would say, it's a, there's a great blessing in understanding our fragility. Here's how James says it. James says, blessed, let me just read it to you, James 1. James 1, verse 11, verse 10, verse 9. Let the brother of low degree, so this is a, a poor, impoverished, um, pitied person here in this earth. They never are able to arise to, you know, a, a beautiful house or a great job. Let this brother rejoice in that he is exalted. So in Christ, we are raised um, to this common place. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no bond, there's no free, but we're all one in Jesus Christ. We've been raised to heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the, 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 the mercy and the grace of God is not given to us based upon our net worth or um, upon what we can bring to God, but the, the grace and mercy of God is just that. It's grace and mercy that lifts the beggar from the dunghill and, and, and the poor from, uh, from the beggar's heap the grace of God lifts us up to enjoy the blessings of God as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So if you are in a circumstance in life, you go, I am, I am, I am, I'm, 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 there's nothing left. I'm empty. You say, there's room to rejoice. Because in Christ, you've been raised to receive to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints and light. You've been a partaker of the divine nature of God. You've been raised into new life. Let the, let the brother of Lodogree rejoice in that. He's exalted in Christ. But he says this, but let the rich, this is a rich brother, this is a believer, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The rich brother is blessed, rejoice that, Lord, all that I have is nothing. It's not meaningful. It's not. Oh, listen. We give lip service to that. But we really struggle to believe that, don't we? You get jealous if, you, if you're like me, you drive an old car, and, and, and on a 100-degree day like today, you're like, man, I wish I had a new car where I could just, I could just enjoy cooled seats and, and, um, and, and whatever. You know, uh, it, just, it just ran smoothly. If I had that, I'd really have something. Or is it... Like pretend to do. So you're meeting somebody and you go, Well, tell me about yourself. And they say, Well, I went to Harvard. And you go, Ooh, I better straighten up a little bit and act intelligent for a minute. We, we do that, don't we? we? We perk up at that which seems, whatever our estimation of value system is, that which is valuable, that which is, that which is, is worthy, has achieved something. And the Lord says, Let this brother rejoice in this fact that, he, that all that means nothing. Because just like the flower of the grass, all the fashion of it is going to perish. And he's going to fade away in his ways. But here's the true blessing. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. 
For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to those who fear him. Let's move along quickly. Um, the third point is the prideful, stubborn man. In light of this, the prideful, stubborn man is a foolish, deluded man. How important is we hear this? Turn to Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. <clears throat> And the setting of Isaiah 28 is that uh, Israel has already fallen to the, capti- the captivity of the Chaldeans. And now uh, um, Judah now is still as, as, as rebellious and stubborn against God as ever. And they've learned nothing from seeing God destroy their brothers, their cousins of Israel. They've learned nothing at all. So here's how, here's how he describes this. Very colorful language in Isaiah 28. First few verses. Woe, this pronouncement of curse or doom. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. So when you hear it, when you see Ephraim, that's just a, uh, an appellation that God gives a lot of times to the people of Judah, to the people of God. So woe to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hell and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with a hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. And the glorious beauty, he's been been so sarcastic here, the glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looketh upon it seeth, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. So the, the, the last imagery first, there's this fruit. They would have the early, the early uh, uh, fruit that would ripen before the rest of the fruit. And, and, and just think about the time and the, the grace of the fasting of this fruit. The, grain, the rain that would hit the ground and would soak the, soak the ground and, and then penetrate the ground and find its way into the roots and all the process of the sunlight and the water working together to produce this fruit in this in this tree, and then it, it takes its time, and it ripens, and it's beautiful, and it has all its glory, and it's perfect, and then somebody picks it, and eats it in three seconds. <laughs> that's, the, that's the imagery. It's gone. Do you remember that fruit? I think it's going to be ready tomorrow. We're going to enjoy this wonderful peach pie. And you go out there, and you see this kid with, with juice running down his mouth, and you go, what did you do? It's gone. That was mine. And that's what he's saying here to Judah. This prideful, stubborn. And then he, here's the real imagery, though. He says, the glory of this, of, this, of this fading giant, Judah, is like a flower on the head of this fat valley. So what's the, what, the, what the imagery is, is, is many times, this happens in India, we're there a lot of times, that they'll give us these lays, you know, that, that are these cut, fresh cut flowers that are, are this... You know, beautiful ornament that stains your shirts and all that stuff. Um, but he said that's what they would do. They, they would they would take this these flowers and they would they would adorn it across their foreheads and these parades or these festivals as this beautiful dress. And he says, you can't see, you're so you're so deluded. You can't see that 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 flower has completely faded, and it's really a mockery across your forehead. It's mocking the reality that you are not nearly as strong and as glorious and as able as you, as you think you are. You can't see it because it's, 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 it's around your forehead, but you look like a, a real idiot. And that's what he's saying to stubborn people. 
to people who are continuing to walk in their own ways, not acknowledging, not turning, not repenting before the Lord. He said, what are you doing? Go look in the mirror, he says. Can't you see? At all your glory. You're drunken. So when you're drunk, your, your senses are, 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 are off kilter. And, and, and sometimes, you're, sometimes you're filled with a, an extra level of, of, of bravado and, and, and capability. And maybe even joy. And he goes, it's, it's all fake. It's all going away. It's all going away. You're stumbling around and you cannot even see it. You can't see where you're going. Friends, the brevity of life is supposed to remind us of that. That we may not be. Like fools who run after that which is going to perish in a moment. In a moment. And has no lasting value. Finally, we'll close this way. And I won't spend much time there. I will just point you to Isaiah 40 and then to 1 Peter 2. So the reality of life as a flower is intended to draw our hearts towards God. This is the whole, the whole message, right? It's intended to draw our hearts towards God. But in two ways... In Isaiah 40, he's speaking to those who are really discouraged. And he says, you are like the flower of the grass. And you're going to perish like the flower of the grass. But then he says this, but the word of our Lord endureth forever. And then he says to them, so behold your God. So in Isaiah 40, he's saying, this voice is calling me cry. He says, what will I cry? And the cry is, the cry, let me just read it, this this little small, small portion The cry is, all flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass is going to wither, the flower is going to fade, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. So therefore, O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up to the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that brings good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And Isaiah 40 is one of the most glorious depictions of this incomparable God who is solitary in His glory and His strength. This is the, 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 the chapter where we think about that all the oceans are as the waters in the palm of His hand. And all the inhabitants of the earth are just like little grasshoppers or like a, the drop, a, a drop in a big bucket. We're all nothing, but God is huge. He is massive. He is eternal. He is stable. He's not moving. He's not changing. He is trustworthy. And all this is being brought to our attention for this purpose. That we might understand that this God who is so massive and so great and so capable is also so, so very personal. Intimately acquainted with every one of our ways. That's what he says. To you who are like the grass that are perishing. He says, those who wait upon the Lord, those who turn to the Lord, who see God, who are depending upon the Lord, those people, though they are withering in their own selves, they're going to renew their strength. (laughs) They're going to find a strength they don't have. They're going to be able to run and not be weary. He says, even even young kids get weary. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Even young kids get weary. They can go and go and go, but at some point, even the young ones faint. But not those who wait upon the Lord. 
they're going to be able to run and not be weary. They're going to be able to walk and not faint. A, a strength that you just don't have is found in the Lord. So the point of our weakness is, and our fragility and our temporary nature is, he says, cry this out, scream this out, that we may be able to then say, so go behold God. Okay? That's Isaiah 40. 1 Peter 2 is the same idea, but it's even expanded more. 1 Peter 2 is very, actually the whole book is very practical. But 1 Peter 2 is the same language as Isaiah 40. It, it borrows from Isaiah 40. And it says the same thing. All flesh is grass and it's going to wither like grass, like the flower of the grass. But the word of the Lord liveth forever. And just earlier he said, and you have been born again. You've been born again. And so in other words, you are no longer just this, 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 this fading flower. You've been born into what 1 Peter 1, 5 says is an inheritance that is incorruptible and that fadeth not away. This is something that is lasting, that is enduring. You are a new creation in Christ. And so he says, therefore... Because the word of the Lord endures forever, and you're going to endure forever, even though you in your flesh is just like grass, therefore desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Build yourself up on this foundation, this cornerstone that is Jesus Christ, and then it gets really practical. Because you are not feeding that which is going to perish, but you're feeding that which is going to remain and last, he says, you're going to be able to navigate the rest of life. Including things like obeying your master's servants and those who treat you wrong and husbands dwelling with your wives according to knowledge and wives dwelling with your unbelieving husbands with with, with care and with reverence. He would get very practical. In other words, your practical strength for very difficult situations is going to be found not in feeding your fading flesh. In other words, I'm going to get my way and I'm going to, I'm going to get, my, get what I want. No, 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 no. You're going, to, you're going to die. That's what you're going to do. You're going to die. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And so build your life on the word that will live forever. Turn your ways according to God's word. This is the God for the life that is forever. He draws us to the one that is forever. And so thank, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for His, his, um, his, his, his stark, sometimes sobering, but also ultimately freeing reminder that brothers and sisters, which is like the flower of the grass, oh, it's a beautiful life that God has given. But it's also very fragile, very temporary. So number your days. We may apply our hearts to wisdom, asking the Lord to seek us early with His mercy, to have mercy upon our days. To establish the work of his hands, to let us see the work of his hands, and then therefore to establish the work of our hands that is based upon his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time tonight and looking at your word and remembering that we are as the flower of the grass. Thank you, Father, that you, knowing that, don't, um, don't then despise us or disparage us, but instead, Lord, you are full of mercy and tender care for your people. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.